3: Welcome to the National Football Show with your boy Dan Sillio. Isn't it always football season? I so love it. You know, when I got approached to do a football show, I was always like, you know, well, you know, I got to keep my radio integrity and, you know, we got to cover all f- sports. And this is what I've done for 30 years. And then I realized that I hate those other sports. Well, I I don't hate them. But you're just not interesting. Oh my god, the Eastern Conference in the NBA. Are you ready? Well, if you're in Philly, you're kind of interested because of the Sixers and Doc Rivers. And by the way, Doc's my boy, so I'm always pulling for him. Comes on the show regularly. I love Doc Rivers. Then you got baseball. I mean, can you pick Bryce Harper and Nolan Arenado and Manny Machado, could you pick him out of a police lineup? No. But football? Everybody knows what's going on. We were just talking prior to coming on the air here about the Aaron Rodgers situation in Green Bay, how freaky that whole thing is. Why would you go down that avenue? Why would you piss off a guy who is, without a doubt, the best or one of the top three players at that position in the league right now? Why? What's the point? And then I saw Ron Wolf the former executive with the Packers, calling the quarterbacks divas. Hey, Ron, no crap. I mean, did you just wake up, old man? or you Rip Van Winkle? Did you just crawl out of your attic, dust off all the dust, and realize that today's athlete is different and has to be treated differently than when you were back in the fossil days of the NFL where they didn't have face masks? I mean, dude, wake up. These guys today, it's about branding. It's about winning. They're looking for the best environment to win. That's all Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are looking for. Just like when you're a CEO today. You're at a crappy company, but you know that you're putting things together for this company, but they are just not using all the resources and giving you all the tools to succeed. What are you going to do? You're going to start floating that resume out to places so that you can get an opportunity potentially to go to a place that has resources to get your brand out, to enforce your vision. I I don't have a problem with it. The barking quarterback of today, hey, dude, guess what? That's it. LeBron James bitching and talking on social media. Social media has made it, so guess what? Just like Donald Trump did. You know, I said this years ago that Twitter and social media were going to take reporters out of our business. They've already destroyed the newspaper business and they're just about ready to destroy the beat writers who cover teams. That's why they hate Twitter. That's why they hate athletes going on Twitter. Donald Trump, he went around the media and that's why Twitter banned him because you know why? He didn't need CNN. He didn't need Fox. This guy had 90 million followers. He was talking to his base. He didn't need it. He eliminated all of those people. That's what social media does. If there's somebody out there that's in the media that is saying things about Aaron Rodgers that Aaron Rodgers doesn't like, he could take to his Twitter account. That's BS. Not true. You can can actually, if stories are being done about you, You can actually call people out. And that's what many athletes are doing. Look at Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq doesn't need a reporter. You think LeBron needs somebody to put a mic in his face nowadays? He doesn't need that. And and believe me, my business hates guys like that. My business hates that their opinion is not an influence any longer. Why do you think the Major League Baseball people with those stupid-ass Hall of Fame votes still embrace those votes like they're gold and like they're like the Wonka golden ticket when it comes to getting people in the Hall of Fame. Why do you think? Because it makes them relevant. You don't have a Hall of Fame for baseball without Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens in it. You don't have a Hall of Fame. What you got is a political vehicle for these riders. So social media has changed. I don't need to listen to some sport. Why would I listen to a guy who covers the team Well, he's got a really good, I'm going to listen to the athlete. That's what social media has done. That's what YouTube, that's what streaming, because you go right to the sources, man. It's funny what, you know, social media has done to journalism. It systematically has destroyed radio, newsprint, beat writers, all of that. I mean, when I want information, I go to the guy's Twitter page or go to his Instagram I never thought Big Sills would ever say something like that. I don't go to a guy's opinion. You know, I was, t- I was talking to the guys prior to coming out on the air. I'm not a journalist, dude. Okay? I'm a broadcaster. There's something that's different there. Because I have an opinion. And I've said this before. Okay? Okay? That's just it, baby. Okay? Okay? Hey, by the way. Jacob, media, we make radio, but you know what we do with our platforms? We put them all together. We're platform performers now. That's what we are. We're platform performers. Somebody asked me the other day, are you a radio guy? No, I'm a platform performer. I go YouTube. um, I stream. I do radio. Okay? We are platform performers. So let's dive into our sandbox here. And you're probably going to think this is going to be a weird way to start a show, but I'm actually going to start it in Indianapolis. So Frank Reich's going through minicamp right now with all the guys that are there. And Carson Wentz is just absolutely, by the way, it's a great coaching technique. Carson Wentz is just, he is just impressing the front office, the Ursays, Frank, Wright. All you're hearing, man, I'm paraphrasing here. Frank's doing this. You know, I cringe when people say that Carson Wentz is broken. I cringe when I hear that. He's right. He's right. When you have a bad company, I just got through saying it. When you got a bad company around you, I don't care who you are. When you're a, you could be the greatest coach in the history of football. You could be the greatest CEO in the history of of business, and on Wall Street. If you don't have people around you to help you win, you are not winning. Jimmy Johnson, one of the biggest things he says to me all the time about a coach's success, do I have the proper technique to be able to go out and hire my own assistant coaches? When you got GMs and owners hiring assistant coaches for the head coach, never works. Never works. Got to have loyalty. Got to have a system that you guys all believe in one another. Jimmy Johnson was with the same coaching staff for over 35 years. Same with Bill Walsh. Same with Pete Carroll. Guys leave, get jobs. But isn't it funny they all come back to those guys? Why? Because they all are in the same page. Why do you think Bill Belichick and Nick Saban meet every single year down in Alabama to talk football? Who do you think the number one coach that was hired in Cleveland by Bill Belichick? Who was the number one coach hired? It was Nick Saban. That was his go-to guy. When they start talking also about potential opportunities to be able to sit there and go over schemes, talk about how you deal with players, how you deal with timeouts, all of that. All of that. These guys all talk to people that they hired, that they're comfortable with, that they know, that they trust. All of it. So at the end of the day, always remember these coaches, hey, man, they're going to be as positive as they possibly can, especially around a reclamation project like Carson Wentz. And what is the number one thing you start doing? I'm going to give you some more stuff. And I'm always going to use Jimmy Johnson because he's going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I play for him. We're dear friends to this day. You can go back and listen to the interview we did right here on the National Football Show a couple weeks ago. And he'll basically kind of reiterate some of the stuff that I'm saying to you here. I had never been around Coach Johnson where I heard anything negative ever in my entire life. I never heard anything negative. There was nothing ever negative. Everything was positive. What do we have to do to win? Maybe we try this technique. Maybe we do this. It was no screaming. It was no hollering. There was no finger pointing. It was trying to get to yes. And what I mean by that is there was always problem solvers in the building. What's wrong with this defense? Do you think this defense lines up against this? Do you think this is good? Does this player need to be motivated a little bit more? What Frank Reich is doing right now to Carson, he's building him back up again. And this is when you build your guy back up is in the offseason. You're not going to build him up. You're going to tear him down during a regular season. But you're going to build him up right now. All the things that he struggled with. What was the biggest issue you think Carson went struggled with last year? Sacks and interceptions, right? I think he led the NFL in interceptions. And the amount of times that he was on his back, that plays into so many things. It's not just the quarterback. And Frank was on the show um, like last week, the head coach of the Colts. You can go back and listen to that interview on our Jacob Media channel. You can go back and listen to that. And he says it. He's just got to get back to the fundamentals, clear his mind. You're starting over, dude. You're starting over. And to me, hearing Frank talk about him, it's exactly how you do it. Looks great. Communicating with everybody. Love the way he talks to the receivers. He's really going to fit in. And you know what you have with the Colts? you got a defense that was in the top 10. you got an offense that was in the top 10 last year. You've got a perfect storm for him. He's not going to be asked to throw 35 touchdowns to win a division or to get to the playoffs or to be a 12-win team. They're going to be looking for balance. And if I could take a page out of something, it would be the Troy Aikman way of winning. Troy Aikman, when he got to the Dallas Cowboys, I was there. And when he got to the Cowboys, Troy was never going to be a guy that was going to throw for 450 yards in a game. Why was that? Because they had him at Smith. And they had a lights out defense. So the number one thing that he's going to be asked to do, and I'm saying Wentz, Keep that bitch in third and short, man. Do not have us in third and long. That's the fastest way to a disaster, turnover, sack, fumble, field goal, touchdown. That's how you get behind. Play field position. Play the percentages. You got a football team around you. The last two years, the Eagle team was disintegrating around you. The coaching staff was disintegrating. Upper management was panicking. Like they have in the past five, six years, they panicked. And hey, not to say anything about Wentz's play because he's accountable for it. He got swallowed up in it. I'm gonna tell you guys this also. Let me tell you how a player gets swallowed up in it. It's 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 funny because I kind of went through something like this. When I was at the University of Miami, we won so many games. I think. The two years that I was there and the two years during the regular season, I think we were 22 and one. We won everything we ha- we were in. It was – we. I mean, we lost one game my junior year, um, my sophomore year actually, to the Florida Gators in the opener. And that was it. Never lost another game in two years. That was it during the regular season. Never lost another game. And that culture was so fun to be in. You're you, you know, winning is winning is becomes habitual too, just like losing does. Man, you're constant, man. Wow, everything was winning, everything was great. The environment was was sensational. I get to the Buccaneers. I'm drafted to 56 player. I get there. The Bucks were four and 12 or something a year before. And before that, 5-11, and whatever, man. They just have sucked for a long time. I get there. The environment sucks. People, they put their hand up right away when the team gets down. You're not fighting. No one's competing for a position. I couldn't believe it. I had never thought in my life that a professional football team would have an environment where you noticed losing. And then guess what happened? My practice habits went away. My drive to even want to play at times went away. Couldn't believe it. I'm telling you, hey, did I need to be stronger? Absolutely. It's pro football. You to act like a man when you're in something like this. Hey, this is my fault here too. I allowed myself to go downhill. So when I see a guy like Wentz go downhill, there's no doubt that every player you go with the emotions of the team sometimes, man. Teams up high. Everybody's going like this. Let's go kill them. Let's go win games. All of a sudden, man, did you not see the end of the season last year for the Eagles when all those guys were sitting on the bench, when they pulled Hurts, how those guys looked over? You actually saw guys mouthing like this. And you saw it, and you were like, okay, this game's over. You saw it. Guy sat back, Old lineman go, why am I blocking for this dude? I can't even tell you the name of the quarterback was at the end of the season. They started some stiff who had no way of ever playing in the NFL as a starter. Never. It was a BS move, man. A total BS move. You don't put people in unless you're trying to do something where, get this, you just have surrendered. The Eagles surrendered last year. And that last game? was a prime example of surrendering. They just surrendered, man. I'll give you an example of a team not surrendering and didn't have a good record. The year previous, when Brian Flores got the job, I think they even beat the Eagles that year too late in the year. And when Brian Flores got the job, I think he actually beat Seattle and I think he beat the Eagles late in the year with a roster I couldn't tell you who anybody was on. I didn't know who those guys were. But they were winning games. And I said this about Brian Flores and Chris Greer, the GM. I said, this Dolphin team is going to start doing something, man, because they, they're putting a culture together where people are actually in the room, where people are doing this. Hey, man, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I see the light at the end there. And so you were like, yeah, okay, yeah. Brian Flores, I saw it. I said, this guy's going to be a good coach. Because he's, he's putting a culture in there. Frank Reich is 28 and 20 since he got to Indy. And Frank Reich has done a hell of a job. He, he had a reclamation project when he took over for um, the previous regime. Then he put in, who did he put in? You know who he put in? He put in a guy that he had success with in San Diego by the name of Philip Rivers. How did you not think he was not going to go after a guy he had success with? That's Frank's M.O. There was no way Frank Reich was not going to go after Carson Wentz. Didn't the move to get Phillip Rivers into Indianapolis tell you how he was going to go into that offseason? He wasn't going to go into the NFL draft to try to get some stiff quarterback and pray that guy was going to be good. You know what they're doing in Chicago right now? They're praying or Justin Fields is good. You know what they're doing in San Francisco? They're praying that Trey Lance is going to be good. They're praying Zach Wilson in New York with the Jets is going to be good. You, you 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 didn't have to pray. You knew Phillip Rivers was good. You know that Carson Wentz just needed some, how about this, better coaching. I tell my daughter this all the time. And I see it too. Every time my wife, who's now a rugby coach, my daughter plays Division I rugby at Grand Canyon University. And I could spot a crappy coach a mile away, man practice techniques, practice habits, how they communicate with players. You can see it, man. I've been been around too many good ones and too many bad ones. And you know when a player is looking at a coach and he doesn't buy into what that coach is saying. There's no question. The divide between Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz a year ago was created because of Howie Roseman and the owner. They were dividing. You know how you divide? When you hand a roster on Thursdays, on players that are going to be available for Sunday and you don't have control of your own roster, dude, you don't have control of your team. The players like in Dallas, they, they don't look to Mike McCarthy. They look to Jerry Jones who's playing. Jerry Jones and Steven Jones control who plays Sundays. Here's who's playing. Here's who's active. Here's who we feel will give you the best opportunity to win. Man, how do you coach that? There is no way great coaches do this. So you're hiring my assistants and you're hiring my personnel. Frank Wright with Chris Ballard, the GM in Indianapolis, they're working hand in hand with one another. They are working with each other to make sure they're putting the best roster out there for Frank, not for Chris Ballard. And so when you're hearing all these positive things that are being said, hey, man, that to me, right there, when I heard all that stuff being barked out today, that Indianapolis is excited about Carson Wentz, I'm not shocked. Now, is it a lot of the coaches stuff? Of course, it's the offseason. Anybody can look good in a helmet and shorts, <laughs> okay? Anybody can look good in helmets and shorts. By the way, I didn't tell you who's going to be on the big pro program today. We're going to have Jaws in this hour, and we're going to catch up with Ron Jaworski. And Ron works with NFL Films. He sits around and he breaks down all these guys. And we'll ask him about the Aaron Rodgers situation. We'll ask him about Carson Wentz in Indianapolis. Maybe we'll even start out with that there. We'll ask him what his thoughts are on Justin Fields. We'll get his opinion on some of the big stories that are going on in the National Football League. Also, former teammate of his, I found this out yesterday. I didn't know that they were teammates. The Arizona State Sun Devils head football coach how many years did he work at ESPN? Man, I I got to think that. I got to think Herm Edwards worked there about 12 or 13 years. He worked for like NFL Sundays, I think. And then he did like, like hits on all the shows and stuff. Herm was great on TV. I'll tell you what. He has been an absolute wonderful hire for the Arizona State Sun Devils. That football team is competitive every single year. For a Pac-12 championship, and we're going to catch up with him. We'll do that probably at around the top of the hour, and I'll ask him. Man, um, it's 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 wonderful. So let's do this right now. Let's go over to our friend Ron Jaworski now and get his thoughts on some of the things that are going around the National Football League. And by the way, so I get a call from my cousin Joe Nagro. Joe goes like this: He's like, "You're having jaws on." I said, yeah, Jaws actually likes me. He goes, oh, my God, make sure you send him some love, man. I love Jaws, man. Jaws, my Joe runs like one of the biggest um, energy companies on the planet, and he wanted to throw some love out to you, Ron. Dan, I always
1: appreciate the love, man. Thank you, and good to see you again. Good to be with you again. This, uh, we just finished the draft. Teams are having their meetings. There's a lot of stuff going on as we look forward to a hopefully 2021 season with fans in the stands.
3: Absolutely, man. I want to see 100% capacity. We had Frank Reich on the other day, Jaws, and he was just glowing about the opportunity to work with him again. How do you see that working out when it's going to Indy?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think it'll work out tremendous for the Indianapolis Colts. In fact, uh, you know, I, I hated to see Carson leave Philadelphia. And I think, uh, you know, myself, along with many other people who were close to everybody involved in that situation, Still, have yet to come to terms with what has actually happened, and who can you blame? Who's at fault? Um, to me, it was an organizational failure. There's a lot of pieces uh, that fell apart last season for Carson and the Eagles. And sometimes a player just needs a, a, a you know a new beginning, a breath of fresh air, a new system. You know, he's very familiar with, with with Frank's system, so he'll step right in and understand what they're they're trying to do. Carson has tremendous talent. I mean, I I remember his pro day. It was one of the best I've ever seen uh, when I went out to Fargo for that pro day, I talked to Doug Peterson as I was walking off the field after that workout. I said, coach, get this guy. He's damn good. He can make every throw. And this is after I looked at all his tape and studied him and his scheme and his play calling at the line is able to change plays the line Peyton Manning like it, you know, when he was in college. So you saw, you know, that kind of talent, but it thing just went sour last year. And I think, uh, he ended up in a really good place, and I expect him to have a great career in Indianapolis.
3: You know, I would say this to you, Ron, that it's a little different than, say, back when I played and back when you played with quarterbacks maybe changing addresses. And the greatest example of that has to be Ryan Tannehill. You know, he's down in Miami, not what we thought he was going to potentially be when he came out of AM. He goes up there with a running attack up there. He's got Derrick Henry. He's got Mike Grable. They put him in a position. He's making $30 million a year now. And so does that give us hope now that these guys may get these second lives where maybe in the past, if you saw a guy fail at one position, at one team, you moved on from him, and he was trashed. Guys are getting other opportunities like Sam Darnold in Carolina.
1: Dan, systems that are friendly to the quarterback's talent is critical for long-term success in the NFL. Uh, not every coach understands or head coach understands the quarterback position. I believe the head coach must understand that position and treat it differently. And, you know, a lot of these coaches come in and they're like, Hey, this is my system. It worked at X, Y, and Z. It's going to work here. Then you bring a quarterback that doesn't fit that system at all. And you try to put a round peg in a square hole, and it doesn't work. I think Ryan Tannehill is a guy that you don't want to ask him to throw the ball 50 times a game to win the football game. You surround him with a running game, good offensive line, where he doesn't have to drop back and throw that many times. He can use the play-action pass game. And any quarterback that's ever played in, his, in the NFL, Dan knows, a quarterback's best friend is a running game. And you could run the football and use play-action passing, suck those linebackers up, suck those safeties up. That's where the big plays come from. Oh, what is Ryan Tannehill great at? Play-action play passing. That's where they get their explosive plays. So the quarterback has to be in the right situation with the right coaching staff. It has to be a good fit.
3: Ron, one more question on the whole, you know, Wentz deal with Philadelphia and then moving him to Indy. I said to you, we had we had Frank Reich on. Were you shocked that he said on our show that um, the owner called to make the deal first? It wasn't the general manager. He followed up. And to me, Ron, when I heard that, it made me think that's how Nick Ceriani's name eventually emerged because they got basically a two-for-one in this. They moved the guy. They got a coach out of it. I'm not saying that the owner cut the deal per se to move him with all the nuts and bolts that how he had to come in, but were you shocked that the front office is so involved in doing something like this, including the owner, on moving the player, and then off that same staff, it just seemed that it's kind of like maybe it's coincidence. Maybe it is. Your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, I I, I don't think uh, Jeffrey Lurie was out of line by making that call. He has a relationship with Frank Wright. He does. He's uh, in Philadelphia. So I think two guys that understand each other well and know each other well, I have no problem with that discussion whatsoever. And quite honestly, for all the parties involved, I am glad it ended. It was it was nothing but some nonsense going on in, in here in Philadelphia. I, I, I live in South Jersey across the river from Philadelphia. I get tired of talking about it. You know, <laughs> I go to the golf course all in here. Well, oh, my lit. like, I got all <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was tired of hearing about it. So I think the deal got done and, and they moved forward. And kind of an, oh, by the way, uh, Nick Sirianni uh, asked me to speak to his, his rookie class uh, on Saturday and myself and Harold Carmichael, by the way, congratulations. to Harold Yes. All of fame uh, on August 7th. And we got a chance to, speak to those young guys and oh by the way either I'm getting older or they're getting younger it's probably probably the first part I'm getting older guys look young but Nick Sirianni that staff they have great energy I mean I I I love a young staff you know I'm not going to stand here and tell you hey they're going to be great hey they're phenomenal I don't know that but I like coaches that bring incredible energy to the workplace guys that are fired up about their job it's a young staff but it's an energetic staff I talked to a bunch of the rookies, man. They are ready to run through a wall for this guy. They hardly know him. So there are some, some – I'm not putting the cart in front of the but There are some good things that I saw in that mini camp last week in Philadelphia. So that, that gets me excited about Nick Sirianni and his coaching staff and the potential. Hey, the Eagles are a mediocre team right now. They're rebuilding. But I think they got a good young staff that the players will relate
3: to. Ron, let me take you to Green Bay here. And, I, I, you know, I, I hear people talking. And what makes me sick, and you and I know this – Guys are – Joe Theismann even said this. I don't care if they draft a quarterback. I don't care who they do this. I don't care about any of that stuff. I'm a front window guy. I'm not a rear window guy. Everybody knows you're, you're hired and drafted to be replaced eventually because of economics today, especially, whatever. I think the scenario in Green Bay goes down to this. Last year, you give up seven points going into the half. Another coaching blunder. Fourth quarter, you don't go for it on fourth down. You draft a quarterback a year ago. I don't know, Ron. I I don't think it's one thing. I think it's accumulation of things that has brought us here. Do you see it that way?
1: Well, yes, it's always a number of things. And we well understand Aaron Rodgers is, uh, you know, one of the best in the business, Uh, but he's also one of the quirkiest guys you'd ever want to meet. So none of of this surprises me whatsoever. And and by the way, I agree with Joe's statement, you know, you got to look forward and, you know, and, and, when I was the quarterback for the Eagles, Randall Cunningham was drafted, you know, in the second round. Duh. I, I knew that they were, com- you know, they're getting a young guy getting ready. I was okay with it, but I'll be damned, Dan. I was going to bust my butt to keep my job job as long as I can hold it. I didn't go, oh, it was me. They just drafted Randall Cunningham. Hey, if you're going to play in the NFL, particularly the quarterback position, or as you played in the NFL, you understand this, Dan. You compete every single day. The average career is just over three years. Our audience probably just said, what did he say? Three-year NFL career. So, man, there's always someone out there to take your job. I don't care if he's drafted in the first round, the seventh round, or free agent acquisition. You better learn how to compete for your job or you will be gone quickly.
3: I want to go to Dallas now. Dak Prescott gets the $42 million, and good for him. I, I, I think he's a great face of that franchise. But, Ron, going into that injury against the Giants last year, I mean, they had a miraculous comeback against the Eagles. That defense on the other side is Sivs. And if you think you're going to plug holes with rookies, man, I don't know, man. I, I I look at that Dallas team and I go, maybe they got stability at the quarterback position, but you got an overpaid running back, Ezekiel Elliott. You're paying 20 million dollars on your wide receiver. you got an aging offensive line. I don't know, Ron. Why do I look at it and go, okay, the schedule's softer because they were bad last year, so maybe it's going to be some fool's gold early, but I, I don't want to give you a leading question, a loaded question here, but dude, I don't I don't know. I mean, you how do you look at Dan, Dan,
1: Dan, relax. Why worry about the money? It's Jerry Jones's money. <laughs> 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 let, him, let, him, let, him, let him give it away to <laughs> the to Dak and, and all the guys that he's got. I tell you what, this team could ring and register about 40 a game this year. They've got incredible offensive talent, just incredible. And obviously, you know, you look what they did in the draft, Six, the first to six picks were defensive guys. They know that defense stinks, but they got a guy at, at that linebacker spot, Micah Parsons, yeah. who's going to make everyone a whole lot better, Dan. As, as you if I, as I watch this league evolve over the last couple of years, you've got to have linebackers that are three-down linebackers. They can play first, second, and third down, and very few of them do in this league anymore. They go to nickel-and-dime packages. Micah Parsons runs like a four three eight forty at 240 pounds. This guy, I mean, he'll wreck your game plan in a heartbeat. That's how good he is. So I, I tell people here in Philadelphia, you know, I studied this guy at Penn State. He took a year off last year to COVID. but This guy, every game was making plays, sideline to sideline, end zone to end zone. I mean, like you said, he wrecked your game plan. So they've got a real solid linebacker in Parsons.
3: How do you look at this Tebow story in Jacksonville?
1: I, I don't even look at him. I, I don't. I I, I. I really. And I'm not saying that. You know, I love Tim Tebow. He's an awesome, awesome guy. We all know that. But Tim, move on, brother. Move on. <laughs>
3: move on. <you> know. <laughs> hey, hey what? Hey, Ron. Right. Wait a minute. Hey, man. How yeah. many times did Turk call you, dog?
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Move. You know, you're years old, and you're gonna become a tight end. Come on. Hey. Back to the
3: Yankees, man. I think you got a better shot there. Hey, I'm, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call some of my friends in the NFL and go, "Hey, look, you know, I know I'm in my fifties, but I can hold." <laughs> your expectation? <laughs> yeah, you could probably hold real well. <laughs> <Man. laughs> well, oh, no question, right on my belly button. Hey, yeah. your expectations in New England will be what this year?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I I'm a big Bill Belichick fan. You know, I I I think the guy's one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach of all time. And I played a couple years for Don Shula down in Miami. So uh, I know what greatness looks like. Um, you know, Bill had a down year last year. People forget how really gutted his team was last year from COVID. You know, they had eight or nine starters that weren't even on the field all season long. And he peeled, piecemealed a very competitive team together. Hey, it's going to it's going to take some time, but uh, B- Bill is good to turn things around quickly.
3: I think they're going to win, too. Ron, tell me I'm crazy when I say this to you about Justin Fields. Okay, in the 131 years of Ohio State football, name me one guy, one, that has come out of that program where you went, holy crime, me, that guy blew the NFL up. And I know I'm recruiting to school here. I I know. But here, can't follow me here. They had the guy in the building when they were evaluating the quarterback position between Dwayne Haskins And when Justin was transferring over from Georgia, he was going to be in that building. Ryan Day and Urban Meyer looked at Joe Burrow and said, you're not the guy. He has to leave and goes to LSU. He wins the national title. He wins the Heisman. He's the number one pick. I look at Joe Burrow and I go like this. I see it. I see this kid. They evaluated the team. They evaluate that position wrong all the time in Columbus. Why is Justin Fields the difference? Uh, Well,
1: we're going to find out rather quickly. Obviously, you mentioned Joe
3: Burrow. And, you know, again,
1: not take anything from Day or Meyer or those guys. They're they're terrific coaches. But, you know, when you get a real good coach and and you see what happened with Joe Burrow that last year at LSU, his percentage went up, his accuracy went up, everything went up, everything went up. up. So I think coaches has something to do with that. I'm not knocking Ryan Day. He's has NFL experience. He was here in Philadelphia. Urban Myers, you know, had great success everywhere, but the NFL is a different animal. I mean, it, it is about, and I I said this since I, I went to ESPN in 1991 when they first hired me. The most overlooked aspect of quarterbacking is accuracy. The first time Mel Kuyper comes on the air and hey, he's got a big strong arm and he can run, he can and he can run, big deal, it means nothing. If you can't throw the ball with accuracy, if you can't play from the pocket on a consistent basis, running should be a second thought. And too often now in the NFL, fans get excited. The quarterback runs around and runs for 20 yards. Then throws three balls in the dirt. They remember the 20-yard run that he had. You know, so to me, I, I, when I look at tape, these college guys coming out, I look for the pinpoint accuracy on a competitive uh, basis, you know, a repetitive basis where a guy can do it, play in and play out. And that's kind of been, you know, I look at Justin Fields. I mean, the guys, obviously, you watch him run. You watch him play, he's a tremendous athlete. But I didn't see that repetitive accuracy. And maybe that's why some people weren't as crazy about him as we all thought he was. That doesn't mean he's not going to be a great player in the NFL. He could be a Hall of Famer. But the repetitive accuracy is something I always look for.
3: Two last questions for you, Jaws. I want to throw this at you, what Jimmy Johnson said on the show here uh, last week about Lamar uh, Lamar Jackson. And he, he made the comparison to Barry Sanders and Emmitt Smith and that if you're okay with minus yards with Barry, Barry's gonna do things and he's going to reverse field, he's not gonna jam it, he's not gonna keep the integrity of the play. If he sees he has to do something, you've got to learn to live with negative plays. When we had Emmett, Emmett was three yards, five yards, eight yards. I don't Ron, you looked up, he had 25 carries, 135 yeah. <laughs> yards, and you're like this. But he never, you never saw minus plays with him. And Jimmy said, when you get into the postseason, this is where Lamar is going to struggle more because you're going to be playing against teams that keep the integrity of their defense. They set the edge. You're not going to be able to do those cutbacks like that. And that's why maybe, again, and I i know the whole thing, Emmett had a better role, line. I get that. But if you're okay with that style of play, you're going to win a lot of regular season games. He's just not so sure about the postseason. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. It,
1: it, 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 that philosophy is dangerous at the quarterback position. I mean, Lamar is obviously a terrific player. That, uh, you know, dual uh, some punch, he could throw, he could run. There's nothing the guy can't do. But when you get in the playoffs, those windows are a lot smaller. You play against better athletes. You play against better defenses. And we have seen from Lamar so far in the playoffs, he has not played as well in the playoffs. And teams in the the playoffs, defensively, are normally a lot more disciplined. You know, they'll take their drops. They'll peer back in the backfield. They will see him. They'll give him tighter windows. As I said earlier on your show, Dan, now you see six, seven defensive backs out there in passing situations. Man, those windows really shrink down. So it gets back to that repetitive accuracy I spoke about. And he hasn't shown that against really good defense in the playoffs. Not saying he won't because he seems to get better every year. But clearly, I think he's got to prove that he can make accurate cl- throws on a repetitive basis in the postseason before I anoint him as a Super Bowl savior in Baltimore.
3: Finally here, Tua a Viola Are you a fan? Uh, I'm thinking it through. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I I don't see it yet. I, I watch it. I look at Justin Herbert, and I saw Joe Burrow last year. I went like this: "Wow!" Yeah. I looked at two. I went like this: "I don't know."
1: Yeah, I, I, that's why. That's why you, you I, I, I stuttered. I just, I didn't have. The, usually, I get a, an instant reaction, like when someone says, "Should he be in the Hall of Fame?" I usually say yes or no really quick, and I'm. <laughs> right I, yes. I had to think about it for a second, you know. And oh, by the way, I know you. You had you. You're having or you had my dear friend. Herman oh, Edwards. we're having him on
3: at the top of the hour, Herman Edwards. It. Okay, so
1: I, I won't, I won't, I won't blow anything. I'll leave you to Herman. I love that guy, man. If, if, <laughs> if there's a brother that I uh, I would love to have, it would be Herman Edwards. He is one of my dearest friends. In fact, I'm I'm going out for a game this year. He invited me out for a game. Working with that guy at ESPN, an eight-year teammate at, at Philadelphia. That that guy's the coolest dude you ever want to meet. All those jerks out there said, "Oh, he'll never coach at college again." They don't know football.
3: Man, he's doing a great job. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this though, Ron, for you. I'm gonna leave you with this. When I was in the NFL and I used to just play this back, you should be in the Hall of Fame for this one thing. How come LT killed Dorski more than any quarterback? I don't I told Dizeman this, Dizeman, I know he did the leg on you. Joe goes, yeah. He goes, but he crushed, he killed Jaworski way more than you.
1: I had some bad left tackles in my later. <laughs>
3: Hey, Ron, thank you, brother.
1: You're the best, Dan. All right. You
3: bet, man. Thank you. That's Joss, man. That's my friend, Ron Jaworski, man. <laughs> I had some bad left tackles. That's phenomenal stuff there, man. All right. We'll take a brief timeout. You keep it right here on the National Football Show.
4: Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave. Take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way.
5: field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you.
6: Seven, four, three. One, two, three. Because
5: Philadelphia dreams
7: deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
8: The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history.
6: C-A-T-L-E-N-E-O. Jody Mad. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
3: Welcome back. That's football show with your boy Dan Yeah, man. Just had Ron Jaworski on him. I don't know who LT beat the hell out of more. Ron Jaworski or or Joe Thizman. Joe Thizman took the brunt of the bigger hit, but man, how many highlights you ever see with LT on his back? (laughs) Man, I love Joss. One of the tough, you know, what was really great about those quarterbacks, and not to sound like Ron Wolf, oh man, get off my lawn, dude. But those quarterbacks, man. You were allowed to annihilate those guys. Back in the day, guys like Theismann and Sims and Jaworski, man, they just got annihilated. But you know the one thing that I just mentioned to you? Listen to the quarterbacks that I mentioned that were in the NFC East then, Joe Theismann, Phil Sims, Jaworski, Randall Cunningham. These guys were tough dudes, man, tough. You hit them, they get back up. And I, I was talking the other day with Wade Phillips about quarterbacks in the pocket, and the ones that are truly great are the ones that that have great courage in the pocket. Hey, man, th- there's one thing to have great skill, great talent, and you heard Ron even say the same thing. Justin Fields running a 4-4 means nothing on winning games. Zero. Now, if he's in a 4-by-100 relay team, wow, that's really great. Or if he's like doing the world's fastest man competitions, those are phenomenal. That's great that you're that fast. But when you're playing in the NFL, how many times have you seen Tom Brady take off running? He does one yard sneaks. That's what Brady's forte is. Besides the great winner that he is, Brady loves those fourth and ones. How many times do you see him making those? Brady's not running for 45 yards. Peyton Manning wasn't running for 45 yards. Hell, for that matter, Joe Montana, Elway. And you know who else? Aaron Rodgers, really. You see Aaron Rodgers moving around in the behind the line of scrimmage. You rarely see him getting up the field. You, He knows the dangers. You end up like Cam Newton after a while. Can't have that, man. The, see, the one thing that I say about Lamar, and I love Lamar Jackson. I really do. You know, because I, I said this, and you'll, you'll, you'll understand how I work when it comes to being right and wrong. I said that Lamar Jackson would be out of the league in five years. I was so wrong. The guy wins 80% of his games. He's a league MVP, but I still don't believe he can win a Super Bowl because of the things that I said with Jaws. When, When you get into the postseason and you're setting the edge more and you're playing against better defenses and you're playing against better schemes, look what the Buccaneers did to Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Look what the Bucs did to Drew Brees. Look what the Bucs were able to do, even Aaron Rodgers, two times last year. When you get a good defensive coordinator, you've got players and schemes that can take away things and the advantage that that team particularly has. I mean, think about the Green Bay Packers a year ago. They were 13-3, and right? They got beat, you know, once in the regular season by the Buccaneers and then once in the postseason. I mean, the Bucs took them out twice last year. Why? Because they got to him early. They kept the edge. They were man coverage the entire time. They had the personnel to get after him. They moved him off the box in the backfield where he just doesn't get back in the rhythm. When you got players like that and you can close those windows, like like Jaw said, into like dime hole, manhole covers, dude. Those windows are so small. I don't think Lamar Jackson has the ability to win games like that. I I just don't see it. And nor have I seen it. You could go back three years when he fumbled all around against the Chargers. And I couldn't believe how bad that team looked. And that team was a hell of a team two years ago, right? They won all those football games. Chargers took them out, man. And they were never able to really get anything in rhythm. And plus, here's the one thing also that you're looking at when you got a guy like Lamar Jackson. It's phenomenal. Get the, He led the NFL in passing touchdowns. Great stat. Great stat. He's had a thousand yards rushing the last two years. Well, what is that? Do you look at that as really a great number? I know some are going to go, damn, that's unbelievable what he's done. It is. But do I want my quarterback getting hit 18 times a game, non passing related, non in the pocket related? That's 18 other hits. 18, you're talking over a 10-game period, 180 hits. Over 17 games now, we're talking about 260 hits. You're talking non-pocket related. You're talking adding on to quarterback pressures, hits, sacks. You're going to have that guy hit nearly 400 times potentially? Man, you're destined for disaster. Like, if I'm... The contract is coming up for him real soon. Are you signing him to a 10-year contract like you did in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes? It's destined for disaster. Patrick Mahomes is a pocket quarterback, okay? He does things behind the line of scrimmage like Aaron Rodgers does. Lamar takes off. There is someone out there. We don't know what game it is, what year it is, that is going to RG3 him. And then a part of his game is going to be taken away. And are you comfortable enough going like this? That guy's accurate enough to win me ball games. And on top of that, you stroked him a check for $45 million per. Ask yourself that. If you're going to put that on the table, who do you feel more comfortable putting $45 million a year on the table to? Josh Allen in Buffalo or Lamar Jackson in Baltimore? You see, some would say, well, the guy in Buffalo runs too, but the guy in Buffalo has a coach up there that's trying to build a running game. In Baltimore, they're not building a running game. That's where they need to keep going. When, when Mark Ingram had a thousand yards two years ago and that team won all those games, you were doing this. Okay. Well, you're taking a lot of the heat off of Lamar. Okay. And, when you have a 1,000-yard, 1,200-yard rusher back there, that's you have to have that because of the amount of hits he's taking. My question with Lamar is always about it's not his ability. His ability is just spectacular. He's one of the greatest guys to watch. If you're talking about buying a ticket to watch a football player play in the NFL today, he's he's one of those tickets. But he's also one of those players that his time is coming. The law averages are going to catch up with him, and he's going to run into one of those injuries and those catastrophic injuries just by the law of averages is how he's going to get caught. You know, it always happens, right, especially with the running quarterback. All right, let's move on to this. We're going to have Herm Edwards with us at the top of the aisle. We're going to talk some college football with our friend. And I just marvel at what he's done at Arizona State. I just love Coach Edwards. And his recruiting, this is the kind of guy you want to send your kid to play for. Everything encompasses everything. And um, I'll ask him about the current playoff system. I know that the um, Pac-12 got a brand-new commissioner. He's been hired from the MGM Grand And so they need some media guy in the room there to be able to, like, you know, put some spark into the conference. So we'll talk all about that. But the big conversation like we had with Coach Leach last week from Mississippi State is it's the playoff. And I said it yesterday to you and I'll say it again. College football is not there. It's become too regionalized and you're losing viewers every single time the bowl game start and every single time we get to the final four for college football. People in Los Angeles and people in the Northeast, they don't care. They just don't care. Why? As I said, it's too regionalized. And people are always talking about expanding it to get more teams. It's not expanding it. That's where you're wrong. Putting more teams in the opportunity to be able to play for a national championship Is not where you need to go. I don't care to watch a 10 and 3 football team get destroyed by Alabama. I don't care. And nor would anybody else. And I love college football, it's my favorite sport. What you need to expand is the committee. You have way too many people that are on that college football committee that are looking out for the Southeastern Conference, the Big Ten. All of that. And that has to be – there has to be more voices in the conversation. I don't know if it's expanding more teams, but I do know you just can't have these power ADs and commissioners not speaking up for the little guys to open and broaden the horizons of college football. It just can't be the same teams, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, every year. It can't be. You're going to lose the aura of if a team goes undefeated, they have a chance to go and win a national championship. When you say that to people now, it's a joke. When I was in college football and we went undefeated, we knew we had an opportunity to get to a bowl game and win a national title. Today, you can't. And I've said this before, the last team that was an on power 5 team that won a national championship was guess who? It was BYU in 1985, 84. That's the last time that happened. College football is never going to let that happen again. So the only way you can break that bond is you've got to expand the committee. Get more people in there that don't have the backing of the Big Ten, that don't have the the, the – pushing of the Southeastern Conference. You've got to get people in there that are going to have a more open mind to put teams that maybe you look at and you say, this team belongs in the National Championship Hunt. All right. We're going to talk to our friend Herm Edwards. We'll get his thoughts. I can't wait to see packed houses in college football again. You keep it right here on the National Football Show.
4: Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way.
5: field of life first trust bank is there for you Seven, zero,
6: three.
7: One, two, three. because philadelphia dreams deserve a philadelphia bank the international brotherhood of electrical workers local union 98 is a proud sponsor of the labor show with J. Doc and krause every saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry so when you're planning your next industrial, commercial or residential project choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor learn more at IBEW98.org
8: the light from a star can take millions of years to reach earth so when you look at a star you're looking back in time but I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history.
6: C-A-T-L-E-S-A-O. Jody Mag the legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
3: Welcome back to the National Football Show. Your boy Dan Cilio. Gonna effort our friend Herm Edwards, head football coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils. Man, has he done a wonderful job in that program? You, you know, all the naysayers, too, that said that Coach Edwards, again, he had been away from coaching. But you know what I think coaching is a is like what it's communicating. And when you could communicate with men, young men, coaches, no matter who it is. I don't think you ever lose your step when you're a coach. Coach, Herm Edwards joins us now. Hey, Coach, how you doing, man? I'm doing well,
0: my friend. Congratulations to you um, and your new show. I'm excited for
3: you. Hey, we just had – thank you, Coach. We just had Jaws on, and he's like, you make sure you tell that dude. He is one of my closest friends. You've invited him to a football game this year. He said one of the best teammates of all time, and I say this to everyone, Coach. This is the stuff that you and I kind of talk about all the time. It's the journey. It's the friendships. It's the relationships that, you know, when you play for a long time and you're fortunate to play in the NFL or college football, these are the things that you will always remember. It's not so much the games, is it, Coach? It's the relationships. Yeah,
0: it's the people. It's the people that uh, really have touched your life and they stay in your life. And You're right. Uh, The game of football and sports in general gives you moments and memories. And those are the things you take with you. And you're right. There's always some teams that you played for, whether in high school, college, professional world, that those teammates are connected to you for the rest of their life. And you know, they're kids. I mean, it's just it's just amazing. And Jaws is truly one of
3: one of my better friends. There's no doubt about that. Coach, I gotta ask you, man. I and and, and forgive me for asking the same question every time I get you on. Uh, and, and, and maybe I'm surprised but maybe I'm not because you fit so into this program. But then again, coach, I think you could have fit in any program. <laughs> I mean, it, you just look like you're having a great time. You're building something. I hear people say these kids are so competitive. These Arizona state kids. I was talking to Jed fish the other day. He goes, look at the job that Herm has done at Arizona state. I mean, the recruiting classes. It, how do you, I mean, how do you feel after these couple of years since you've taken the job here? I mean, how do you feel about all the things that have gone on in your life?
0: Well, I think I've been fortunate. I've been blessed I, 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 as you, as, as well as yourself. I mean, you know, we all are, um, are, are become a part of what we've learned from others. We all are information seekers. I always tell that to people. You know, you're an information gatherer as you grow up in life. Everything we've actually learned, we learn from somebody else. And, and so I, I think what I've been able to do, all the good people that have influenced my life, that have been in my life, from my high school coach, college coaches, professional coaches, there's a little bit you take away from all those guys, right? And then you become, find out who you are. And uh, I've been fortunate to have a great staff and understanding what our culture wanted to become when I took this job. And it's taken a while, but that's part of the journey. And now it's to the point, and you'll you'll appreciate this. The players run the team. huh? man. When, 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 when you get there, it's kind of like,
3: okay, now we got a chance, right? Now we got Absolutely, a Absolutely, Coach. When, you know, I was at Miami and Coach Johnson would give us all the parameters to fit our team in. And when we had Jerome Brown and all them guys and Alonzo Highsmith were in that locker room and it was our team. And it's funny, Coach, that you say that because I look back on that. And every one of those guys, you know, Alonzo's my friend. Michael Irvin's my friend. These guys are still my dearest friends. It's because we went through this journey, but we went through this journey as individual leaders of that team, and that's why we lost one game in three years. It's unbelievable. you know, And you know this because you've
0: been in football all your life as well. You know, you come together in this giant huddle, and everybody's an independent contractor, by the way. We all (laughs) want our own personal success, right? But as soon as you get in this huddle, you realize, you know what? We can have a whole lot of success if we all go the same direction and don't let our egos get in the way, right? And you're right. Jimmy gave you guys parameters. No different here. We allow players to be who they are. I, I tell players, by right the I'm not trying to change your personality, but there are parameters. As long as you don't cross that line,
3: we're good. Absolutely, coach. Let's let, let's get into the year here. COVID nineteen. How's it affected you and your program?
0: Well, it, it made all of us adjust, and I think it's made the world adjust. Right? Uh, you know, you, 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 football is this. Yeah, uh, it's competitive violence within the framework of the rules. Right. Um, you go through this mode of training, preparing for your opponent. Right. You know, we watch tape and get all. We train. We played an opponent we couldn't see. He was invisible. And all of a sudden, we were like, what are the what's the game plan for this? We had no game plan. Everyone had to react. We had a game plan from the physicians and all that. But how, when it affected you and it you know got into your team and it affected coaches and players, how were you going to adjust to this? How did you navigate all this? And I think everyone learned a, a valuable lesson of that, and I've always said this, a plan that can't be changed is a bad plan. So there were moments when you had to change the
3: plan now. <laughs> Absolutely. Coach, one thing about that, though, and I've talked to Manny Diaz at Miami and yes. numerous coaches, um, Ed Ogeron and those guys, that one thing that I think you guys really had the toughest job of, it's one thing to be, an individual to have a personal relationship with each and every single guy in your locker room so you could be constructive with those men. It's another thing, though, all of a sudden, when the parents are calling you, is it safe? Do you think my kids, okay, I'm hearing things that the CDC are saying. There were so many conflicting stories out there. We're playing, we're not playing. How tough was that on you as a coaching staff as well, reassuring the parents of these players? Well, we were up front from the beginning.
0: And we were up front with the players and the parents. And I told them, I said, look, I'm out of this one. I don't get to make the rules on this one. The medical professionals make the rules. Whatever they tell us to do, that's what we're going to do. We did that as a university. We did that as a conference, actually, as a conference. We said, we're going to let these guys give us the game plan. And it could change. And we've got to be able to adjust. And I thought for the most part, and I give all these college athletes as well as the pro athletes going into their seasons their ability to adjust and still stay competitive, I marvel at them. Along, remember this, there's COVID, and then there's, there's the social movement. Yeah. You got both
3: these parties. <laughs> and it's like you're trying to coach them through all that. Man, that's a tough locker room. You know, we're, we're, we're worried about playing football. We're seeing all the things that are going socially on the television set. We got COVID over here. I mean, social media too, Coach. It's a completely different world, isn't it, right now, coaching these kids? It really is because you have other influences
0: that you cannot keep out of your locker room yeah. due to that phone, right? And, and I always tell, and I tell players this. I said, look, this is a unique thing, and you know this. When you're a part of a team, don't allow the people outside the building that are trying to influence you be a part of this team because they don't come here every day. They don't practice. They don't put into the work. They don't lift the weights. They don't do the off season, all the things you got to do to prepare yourself.
3: They're not around. Don't allow them in our locker room. Hey coach, Jimmy used to go, I could always give you his scholarship. If you want <laughs> and I'm going like, no, 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 I'm good. Now yeah. I, I'm good here, man. He goes. No, in case you you know you want to listen to that media guy over there, I can always give him your scholarship if you want. I'm like, no, nope, no, nope. we're, we're we're good here, coach. You worked in the media for such a long period of time with ESPN, and I'm wondering now, having been in the conference, because I believe there is a West Coast bias. These 7:30 games that you see with these Pac-12 games, and they go back east. They're 10:30 games. Riders exposure for the conference money, advertisers, which is important. You guys hire a brand new commissioner, George klavikov from the MGM. He's got a media background. He's got an entertainment background. How beneficial do you think that is? Because again, like you said, the conference has got to evolve because of time restrictions. It's got to be something that it's a visible vehicle, like the SEC and the Big Ten. I think this I'm is a good move. Yeah, I do. And 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 um, I'm not saying taking anything away
0: from the other commissioner. All right, right. Larry Scott, no 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 no, no saying that no, him. You know, because I you know, I ain't that guy. You know, you, you know, you've been involved, you know, the one coach leaves and all of a sudden the other guy no 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 okay. Well let's just say where it's going. It, yeah. It's going in a different direction because generally when you someone takes over that's different or new, they're gonna do it their way. And so he's been hired to, to, to really promote the Pac-12, right? Merton Hanks is his right-hand man. He knows wow. about football along with some of our ADs. Ray, you know, Ray has been in the NFL, our, our AD here. So we have some people on the football side that are equipped as far as football goes. The other part, the entertainment side and, and, and the business side of it, this is where the new commissioner steps in. And he actually was here when we, when we introduced him to the Pac-12 and to the world of he's going to be the new commissioner. Um very bright man uh, and is, is going to listen. He's a good listener and he's going to listen to the coaches. He's going
3: to listen to the coaches. And that's kind of important too. Absolutely. No question. Coach, your, your, your football team um, going into the 2021 season, how do you feel about it? I like uh, their mindset. Uh,
0: it's, it's a veteran laden team in a lot of positions because a lot of the players decided to come back. And as I told you before, um, they're running it right now, and it's fun to watch. It is really kind of it's it's kind of like, okay, they're getting it now, right? And and they're excited, and, and I tell them this, look, bottom line is this. We have a standard of how we're going to play, and that's us. Our motto is real simple now. When we walk out of the tunnel, and before that clean hits the grass, we say one thing, leave it on the grass. Yeah. Just leave it out there. And we'll deal with whatever happens, But just everything you have, you go leave it out on the field for your, for your football team, for your teammates, and for the people
3: that are, that are watching in the stadium. Coach, two last questions for you here. And one thing I've learned from watching Nick Saban, and, and again, not throwing shade at him at all, but when you talk about the greatest coaches of all time, I don't know what that means. I just know this. That guy's one of the greatest recruiters of all time. And in the college game, that's what this is about. This is about getting people into your program and getting guys to believe in what your culture is. How has that been? Because to me, I think that's where you see a lot of programs when you look at the Alabamas, like they lost their entire backfield, but they're still going to be considered the number one team in the country this coming year. That conveyor belt of players like we used to have at Miami. We mm-hmm. lose Michael Irvin, we get Andre Johnson. How is that depth coming at Arizona State? Well, we're starting to feel it now. And that's Great. good. For, for us,
0: it's the big people. It's the guys up on the front of the offensive line and on the defensive line. We will get skilled players. The, the Pac-12 has always had the ability to get skilled players. I, I played in this conference coming out high school. They're always got skilled guys. It's the big men. And without the big men on either side of the ball, you really, really not gonna go too far. And that's where it's at. And then you got to have depth there. So we've done a nice job of creating that along with recruiting. We've got some pretty good uh, coaches that know how to recruit, and, and Nick, look, Hall of Fame coach. I, I know Nick personally. That program, and, and, and understand this: it's Alabama. There, there, there's only one thing you do at Alabama: you have to win. <laughs> and he understands it, and he's done it at a high level, very consistent. Um, but you're right; you know, players are the key, and you know this being a former player. Look, no, no
3: coach can play; the players play. Coaches coach, players play. <laughs> End of the day, finally here for you, Coach. What do you what What have you enjoyed more, coaching in the NFL or college? I'm a people person.
0: Both. Here's what I do know about this level. I get them when they're 18 years old. A lot of them. I help them. I help them grow up. I become a part of their family, and maybe for the rest of their life. Right? I'm a part of their family member now. And I can give them some experience and knowledge. Don't go down that road. I've seen a lot of players go down that road, young man. Don't go down there. But it's like anything else. And you know this. Any coach worth his salt. They respect your title. You got to earn their trust. And that's every day. You got to earn their trust. I'm a servant for them. I want to give back to football. That's why I love this job. I love dealing with young people. You know what? They, they got energy. They walk in this building every day. They got so much energy. But I won't let them beat me in the building. I'm here to fall.
3: Let you guys beat me in this building. <laughs> I, I, I don't know who's going to outlast who more, Pete Carroll or you. <laughs> You're on the same tree. And was, you
0: know, Nick, Nick got a lot of, you know, Coach Saban got a lot of energy too now. I mean, no, I've known
3: him for a long time. I mean, he was coaching when I was playing. Damn, man! You, I, 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 Herm. I can't wait to see your football team. I can't wait to see the conference this year. I can't wait to see what the new um, uh, commissioner is going to do for the conference. You are a place that I would send my kid in ten seconds to play. I'm always in Arizona, too, man. I may have come to come my, my daughter plays at Grand Canyon University. She plays Division One rugby for them right now. Come on, man! If you don't come visit me when you're in town, manage. <laughs> I promise you, we're doing it. Coach, okay. thank you. God bless you, brother. Thank God you. Bless. God bless. All God bless. Herm Edwards, the head football coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils. What a great friend. I will take him up on that when I'm in Arizona the next time my daughter plays. Some I get this, So I get to go and watch my daughter play, and then I get to go and watch Herm Edwards and his Arizona State Sun Devils play. We'll take a brief time out. You keep it here on the National Football Show.
4: Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything – or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way.
5: field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you.
6: Three, one, two, three. Because
5: Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia
7: bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
8: The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history.
3: B-A-T-L-E-N-E-O.
6: Jody Mad. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
3: Welcome back, Max football show with your boy Dan Celia. Here on the Jacob Media Channel. By the way, tomorrow we're trying to run down our friend Tony Bruno. We'll talk to the legendary sports talker and get his thoughts on the world of football. See what Tony says. He's now Presidente. (laughs) So hopefully be able to run him down. That'll be tomorrow. Love talking to Herm. You know, he was never going to answer that question that I asked and I knew it. What did you enjoy more coaching? the NFL or college football, you knew he wouldn't answer it because you know why? He enjoys coaching. He enjoys teaching. He enjoys being around and influencing, motivating. John Lynch told me something interesting, who's now the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. John told me this today, actually. I'm trying to get John on the program. And John and I have been friends for over 25 years. I love the guy. And I think he's doing a wonderful job at building the team in San Francisco. It's funny. He was his position coach in Tampa. And he was on that Tony Dungy staff. And the guys that were on that staff, Mike Tomlin was on that staff. uh, Lovie Smith was on that Buccaneer staff. uh, Herm was on that. There were so many great coaches that were on that Dungy staff. If you go back and you look at the pre-Super Bowl Tony Dungy uh, coaching staff, it's a who's who of coaches that went on to coach in the National Football League and got opportunities. Raheem Morris was on that staff. All those guys. I mean, Tony knew how to give opportunity, and Tony knew how to hire the right coaches. And so, you know, John Lynch, you know, after he made his second Pro Bowl, you know, he goes into Herm's office, and he tells him, he's like, you know, hey, I, I got him. You know, I think I can make a couple more of these things. And John Lynch, by the way, ended up making nine Pro Bowls. And in the whole conversation, he was like this. He's he's sitting here and he's going – he's like, I'm thinking about, you know, making Pro Bowls. And you know what Herm Edwards said to him? Herm Edwards goes like this to him. Dude, you're thinking about making the Pro Bowl? I think you need to start thinking about reevaluating how you look at stuff here. You need to start looking at maybe making it to Canton. You're you're a guy that should be setting the bar. And that was his point. Don't set your bar here. I tell everyone, you know, you know, somebody asked me, what do you think your hurricanes are going to do this year? And somebody told me they go like this, they go, Well, if they're nine and three, I go, if they're nine and three, they'll finish seven and six. If you set the standard like that for nine and three, you're gonna be seven and six. You're not gonna be in a position where you're going to be a team that is striving for perfection all the time. If you're not that guy, if you're not that team, you're not really with your priorities in the right direction. That's what kind of Herm was telling John Lynch. John Lynch is going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame now uh, in the 2021 class. And because of the great coaches that he had around him, like Herm Edwards, man, when you got people like that around you and you got guys like that around you that understand, that know your personality, that can push the button to push you in a direction. I, I I tell people this all the time about my coach and the coaches that I had around me. Man, I got to Miami, and, you know, I was a good player at Maryland when I transferred to Miami. I was a good player. I had won an ACC championship my freshman year. I was a backup as an 18-year-old freshman. I was playing with Boomer Esiason. I, I I thought I really had a decent year. Things didn't work out there. I go to Miami. And I got around Butch Davis. I got around Dave Wonstadt. I got around Jimmy Johnson. I got around North Turner. I got around all these amazing coaches who would go on to be head coaches uh, in their later careers. And the one thing they had in common was always pushing me. Tommy Tuberville, I'll tell you, the guy who's now the United States senator from Alabama, I would never have made first-team All-American if it wasn't for Tommy Tuberville pushing me. Guess when? When I transferred back in the day, you had to sit out a year. Today, because of COVID, they're allowing the kids to play right away now. I think that rule should have always been in place. If a coach gets to leave a college program, he don't sit out. He gets to coach that team right away, right? Well, I don't know why that never worked out for the player. The player was always left in the dust when it came to stuff like that. But I got there, and I'll never forget. I get to that program, and Tommy Tuberman was now a United States senator. I mean, he was a three-time, I think three-time, SEC coach of the year at Auburn and coached at Cincinnati too. Coach Tuberville was just a great dude, man. And I'm friends with him to this day. And I'll never forget, you know, I get there and I'm like sitting, I start getting really pissy because I know I should be starting, but I got to sit out and I'm going against the first team and I'm killing the hurricane offense. I'm just killing it. Coach Tuberville walks right up to me and looks at me and goes, Hey, one day you're going to be a first team All-American and you're going to walk into the draft and you're going to go to an NFL team. But you're not going to do that with a crappy ass attitude that you have right now. What do you want to quit? You want to give up? There was a part of me that was like this, this is going nowhere. All I do is practice. These guys get on airplanes. I'm better than almost everybody on the field and I'm sitting there and I have to go shower and go home to my dorm room and coach Soberville. I'm never, like I said, he just every day, man, he would look at me and go, "Hey." You're one step closer to getting to your dream. And I started thinking about that. And then when you hear coaches that motivate kids, those are the great coaches. Those are the things behind the scenes that you don't see. You know, most people just see the coaches on Saturdays or Sundays and they go, oh, he must be this guy because of the persona that they give off. But coaching is about relationships. And the truly great ones know how to push the right buttons. The truly great ones. Are the non BS artists, the truly great ones? They're not there to try to tell you something that's not true. They're going to let you know immediately in the room who you are. This is where you are. If you want to be here, you need to do this. You know, I've said this story before on my on my radio show, and I, and I'll share it with you here. When I got to Jimmy Johnson. Things weren't good for me when I left Maryland. I got to Miami and I didn't get a scholarship right away. Coach Johnson gave me, a, gave me two months, I think it was two or three months to win a scholarship. I had no B plan, I had nothing. My grandfather told me I was going to the military if this didn't pan out. I had turned down Oklahoma and LSU. They were offering me scholarships. I didn't take it. I I wanted to go play with this guy for some reason. I show up to Miami and Coach Johnson puts me in the auxiliary locker room next to a toilet that was overflowing and it was going into my locker and into my shoes and into my shoulder pads. Every day I would go out and my stuff smelled like piss. And I'm, I'm like in the auxiliary locker room. Jimmy called me in finally and goes, I don't need you on this football team. Okay? Because I want you here. Make me want you to stay here. I don't need you. We're the number one team in the country. I don't need you. All the stuff that you did, and all the fights you got into at Maryland. I don't I don't want to hear any of that. I don't want to know any of that stuff. I don't want to know any of it. You have a shot here, I'm giving it to you. Let's see what you do with it. Well, three months ended. I won a scholarship my relationship with that guy. And when I left, I was all American and I was drafted in the second round as a junior because that guy had faith in me. You think that has anything to do with Saturdays or Sundays? You think that has anything to do with giving you a playbook? You think that has anything to do with football? It has everything to do with having relationships, talking to players. I know many people there that are talking when it comes to like New England and they look at Bill Belichick and they go, Bill Belichick, just look, I I, I can promise you numerous times, okay, that Bill Belichick has personal relationships with guys like Julian Edelman or any of those other players that have played for him like Mike Vrabel. Because you can't motivate guys to do what that program did in New England by not having personal relationships. I, I, I tell the story. When I was working in the Bay Area at a radio station, I'll never forget going to a game. And this was when Michael Jordan was playing with the Bulls. By the way, that Chicago Bulls franchise and that dynasty with Jordan is my favorite dynasty in all of sports. Because it didn't matter where they were. It didn't matter who they were playing. They showed up every day, whether the team won 20 games or whether another team won 50 games. They were going to beat the doorknobs and the brakes off you every time. And they were going to give max effort. I'll never forget the, the Golden State Warriors had P.J. Carlissimo on the sidelines and he was just screaming. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching Jordan go up and down the court. What are you screaming at? What are you hollering at? He's. Going off on PJ. He is just going off on him. He's screaming at him. He's like, What are you? What are you hollering for? It was in the fourth quarter. These guys were diving over loose basketballs. Dennis Rodman was diving, and I'm thinking to myself, it didn't matter. And that's the year they won 70 plus games. It didn't matter who was on the floor, where they were, those guys were gonna play their ass off. And the only way you can get that done is if you have a coach that has relationships with each and every single one of those guys and you got players on the floor who buy into a culture and the whole perfect storm is that wonderful soup that you drink every time you step on a court, ice or diamond. That's what coaching is. It's so crazy when I tune on a radio show or I tune on anything and I hear people, that guy's not a good. How do you know what goes into he may not have a very good coaching staff. Like I said to you before about Doug Peterson, it's a great. Here, here's the greatest example: Doug Peterson every Thursday got the, he got the uh, roster, and those guys in the upper management are hiring coaches for him. What? That is by committee. I've been telling you that for the last couple, upteen weeks since we've been on. You're never going to win like that, man. Well, they won a Super Bowl. Yeah, they did. A lot of things fell right. For them to win that Super Bowl. Playoff injuries at the quarterback spot. The immaculate catch that beat the Saints that year in Minneapolis. That was insanity. Whole thing. There were a lot of things that happened that year. I'm not saying they didn't beat the brakes off the Patriots in the Super Bowl because, in my opinion, I thought it was a well-coached game. They let Doug coach and Foles played out of his ass. I mean, you, you, you talk about the ultimate knockout. You know when you're like the ultimate Rocky story. You know what the ultimate Rocky story is? It's funny. I tell people this, Nick Foles is Rocky, beating Apollo Creed. That's who Nick Foles is. He's Rocky. You beat Brady with the Philly special? Dude, that guy's Rocky. He's never been able to duplicate that since, okay? It's not like that guy is that dude where he's going to, Tee it up and go up to Chicago or Jacksonville where he flopped on his face. That guy was cut in St. Louis and when Jeff Fisher had him, he bombed there. He bombed pretty much everywhere except Philly, that moment. It's a moment in time, but the coaches in that building that year were great. Two backup quarterbacks talking to a backup quarterback. They were all in sequence together. Everybody rode in the same. It's coaching. That's coaching right there. Coaching 101. Three backups win a Super Bowl. It's one of the absolute greatest stories of all time. Three backups win a Super Bowl in Philly. You think you're ever going to duplicate that again? Never. You're not going to see that again like that. And you beat Apollo Creed. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, all right. Here, I got well, – we're, we're going to have to Netflix that one because I'm going to have to call my boy The Rock. We're going to have to make a a docuseries on that one because uh, I don't know, man. You're never going to see anything like that ever, ever again. All right, let's move on. <clears throat> so pro football focus. I think these guys are the clickbait champions, When it comes to talking about how they look at teams, how many times have you turned on or you clicked on pro football focus? And you see what they say at the beginning of the year. And by the end of the year, they've completely done a 360 because, again, you know what the pro football focus does? They look at games. They don't go into the locker room. They don't know what the trends are on what this player is doing. They don't know what the mindset of the coach is. They don't know what the coaches are asking these players to do. I don't care what they say. It is all assumption. That website is all assumption. Well, I think what they're trying to do against New England, they're going to try to establish that's all guesswork. You don't know what the actual – the only way you can put a trend sheet together – here, and I'll I'll tell you what that is. Every year that I played – Professional organized football. I got a trend sheet, which meant this. These are the trends for the last three games of this respected team that I'm playing against. Some teams like to run off tackle. Some teams like to run the power eye. Some teams like play action. Some teams like to run off a short set. Some teams like to run from the short side of the field. They'll do this on second and seven. They'll do this on third and two. They'll do this plus 25. You have all these trends that teams do, and you get percentages. You actually have people breaking these percentages down for you. So when you open up your playbook on Wednesday, okay, their favorite play is this. Their second favorite play is this. And you start to get a sense of what that team is going to attack you with, especially against you and your weaknesses. Every team's got a weakness. There's no perfect team. Buccaneers could be the closest because they got all 22 guys back. Okay, that's going to that would be a tougher game plan. That would be a tougher trend. You know, the Patriots were impossible to put a trend sheet together with because why? Belichick would activate one guy one week, deactivate the guy the next week. You thought you would be preparing for this running back. You're not preparing for White the next week. You're preparing for Woodhead or you're preparing for Edelman to be in the slot. He did that every single week, every single week. He would give you a different set, and he is so difficult when it comes to putting trends together. So when you're putting these trends together like this, it is always difficult to sit there and say, what is this particular team going to do? That's how you build consistency inside your locker room. That's how you build it in your coaching staff, putting these trends together, players buy into it. They see you're putting the detailed work into it, players buy into you. That's how you coach. Okay. I'm trying to give you kind of like behind the curtain here. It's not just about drawing plays up on a playbook. These position coaches sit down with you, break these trends down. This is what they're going to attack us with. This is what they've been doing the last three weeks. How does that plug into the things that we have and have not been doing the last three weeks? Think of the time that you spend as a coach and a player together there. Think of the time that you are are, are all in sequence together. That's how a player and a coach build that fond relationship. And the players sitting in the locker room with the assistant coaches, Herm talking about Jaws and how great those two guys love one another. It's great to hear that stuff, man. All right. I want I I do want to go back and I do want to hit on Dak here. So, Dak's going to be ready to rock and roll. Oh, wait, I'll get to the pro football focus top 10. I will. I promise. I'm DB. I just want to say this Dak's ready to go for OTAs. And he says that he's going. Mike McCarthy says he's going. I just want to remind myself of that because I do want to hit on that. So, pro football focus, name the top 10. Top 10 quarterbacks going into the 2021 season. I'm going to start with 10. They've got Baker Mayfield, they've got Matt Ryan at nine, they've got Lamar Jackson at eight, they've got Dak Prescott at seven, they've got Josh Allen at six, they've got Deshaun Watson at five, will he play or not will be a big issue, Russell Wilson at four, Aaron Rodgers at three. 44-year-old Tom Brady is a second-rated quarterback, according to Pro Football Focus, going into the 2021 season. And Patrick Mahomes is number one. When you look at these 10 guys here, there's probably five guys in this mix that could potentially win a Super Bowl. I would say this to you. Let's do this. Patrick Mahomes, he's already won one. Brady, win one. Rodgers, win one. Wilson, win one. You think Deshaun Watson right now will win a Super Bowl? I do think he'll win one. Josh Allen, I do think he'll win one. What about Dak? What about Dak Prescott? You think Dak Prescott will have an opportunity at winning a Super Bowl? I do not believe that for this simple fact because Jerry's not put the team around even Tony Romo yet to build a football team where you would win a Super Bowl. My, 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 my question and my issues are not with Dak the player. It's with Dak being in that organization. This is so over the top for people when I say this to them. If you were Dak and you were Todd France, his agent, do you think it was really more about the money or about the opportunity? If Tom Brady has taken less money his entire career, okay, to play in New England, and now he's even taken a pay cut, not a pay cut, a restructuring in Tampa. He's done that his entire career. Dak took the money to stay in Dallas. Do you think that organization is going to put a championship football team around Dak? They haven't in 27 years. Dak took the money. He didn't take the opportunity Dallas is not going to build a football team that's going to be good enough to win a Super Bowl. It's just not. Look at the defense. I said it with Jaws, too, in the first hour. That football team does not have balance in it. What makes me think that Jerry Jones is going to do that and put that team together where they're going to look like the Buccaneers? They're going to look like New England did. He hasn't done it in almost 30 years. So I say no, he's not. Lamar, We have, my issues with Lamar are I, I don't think he's disciplined enough in the postseason to win. I think the schoolyard football offensive game plan that John Harbaugh puts together for him, I don't think it's structured enough. Matt Ryan got to a Super Bowl, but will he have enough time in Atlanta? He got to one? Hell, they're talking about dumping Julio Jones. And there's no way on the planet right now I think Baker Mayfield is capable of winning a Super Bowl. I I, I just do not. Maybe he changes that narrative this year. They win a division championship. I think they got one of the better um, rosters in the NFL. But for me, no way do I think Baker Mayfield – is going to be a guy that can win a Super Bowl. All right. I do want to hit on Dak again going into the OTAs. I think this shows his character a little bit. We'll take a brief timeout. You we'll keep it right here on the National Football Show.
4: Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way.
5: field of life first trust bank is there for you
6: Seven, three. One, two, three. because
5: philadelphia dreams
7: deserve a
5: philadelphia bank
7: the international brotherhood of electrical workers local union 98 is a proud sponsor of the labor show with J. Doc and krause every saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
8: The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history.
6: B-A-T-L-E-N-E-O. Jody Mad. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. So now Zach Ertz
3: wants out of Philly. Dan Silly on National Football Show. Really? I personally think he's landing in Jacksonville. I think that's where Urch is going to land. Oh, I know. People are out there going, well, Tim Tebow is not a tight end. Tim Tebow is a thing. Okay? He's not a tight end. He does not play the NFL tight end position. Okay, watch this. I'm going to be real here with you about Tim. Watch this. Here's public me. It's really great to sit there and think that we could have, you know, a winner like Tim Tebow on the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's it's, it's really great for the community. Everybody's embracing it. Uh, There's no question that, you know, he's a legendary figure in the state of Florida. Um, He played the Georgia-Florida game right here in this stadium. We're really going to get the best of both worlds here when it comes to having somebody so professional now here's in the here's in the organization we need a tight end for this guy and nobody's bringing up Tim Tebow. Nobody's talking about him. He he's not, you know, like, like, like Joss said too earlier, I don't, it's a nothing thing. We're not talking about this guy, the quarterback. We're talking this guy, the sideshow thing, whatever kind of great, opportunity to play and whatever that means. So you you take care of that over there on the PR side. Let's talk football now. I need a tight end to help Zach Ertz out so that we can have a guy because the tight end position is one of the most important positions that you can possibly have on your football roster. Look at how important the tight end position has become to players all over the NFL. Throwing into the seam, slot and tight ends, have been game changers. Look at these guys in Kansas, like Kansas City or Kittle in San Francisco or Ertz in Philly or Gronk in New England. Look at how those guys, you you really can't game plan those dudes. You know why? You don't have linebackers that can cover those guys. You know, I've said this before and I'll say it again to you. One of the major losses that the Pittsburgh Steelers have had over the last 10 years has been the loss of Ryan Shazier. When that guy got hurt and he got paralyzed and the Steelers didn't have that dude on the defensive side of the football, you could say all you want about losing Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. The football team did win a boatload of games last year, and they're competitive. They may not have the same kind of offense when you had A.B. and Le'Veon Bell in the backfield, but I'll tell you what, they get after people defensively. They're going to win 10, 11 football games every year. But dude, when you took Shazier off that defense, what's the one thing he couldn't do? I'm talking Mike Tomlin. Couldn't cover the tight end coming off the line of scrimmage. Or if you even lined him up in the slot, you couldn't cover him. Shay Zer was like a Derek Brooks, but better when he was in the game. He was like a cover Tampa 2 linebacker, but was an absolute ass kicker running and playing against the run. That dude was interchangeable to that Steeler defense. When he got hurt and he's no longer there, the Steelers have not been able to draft a guy. Close. Oh, TJ Watt, he's a great pass rusher, but he's not that dude. That dude was a phenomenal linebacker. And look at what the tight end position does to numerous teams. Travis Kelsey, when Travis Kelsey, and you don't have a player, a strong safety or a free safety or a linebacker that can cover Travis Kelsey, who does the one guy Patrick Mahomes goes to all the time? He Goes to that tight end slot. Could you see Ertz in Dallas? Yeah, you know, I never thought about Dallas, but Dak having him there. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, Billy's not making that move. Okay, but ah, man, you know, if you want to get out from under that contract, would you do it inside your division? You made a trade on the draft. I find that hard to believe. Dallas would be, unless, uh, no way would that happen. But Jacksonville needs him. Man, Ertz, in my opinion, after June 1, dude, he's going to be one of the hottest guys out there for people to look at and go, "Um, I'm going to take that tight end right there. I'm going to put him on my team. Here, watch this. Look at Zach Ertz in Seattle. How about L.A. with the Rams or Chargers? How about in... Tennessee. How about in Atlanta? Look at the places this guy can fit. How about Miami? Miami's got commodities too. They got assets to move. Right? Indianapolis just hired a tight end, so that's not going to happen. They're not going to reunite that. I don't think he works in a young quarterback system like Chicago. I'm not sending them there. Um, and I know you're saying, well, what about Jack? Yeah, well, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be one of your better quarterbacks this year in 2021. I do. But Urch is going to have a huge market because he's good. He was the only thing that Wentz was throwing to. And you're going to have a boatload of teams. Could you see them teaming him up with Kyler Murray in Arizona? with Steve Kind, the general manager, of that football team make that move also. You bring in DeAndre Hopkins, then you go out and you get Zach Ertz and you put man that Arizona team, look at the moves that they would have made in the offseason if they're able to move that. You get Ertz in Arizona with uh DeAndre Hopkins from a year ago, and you get JJ Watt on that football team, man. That moves that NFC West into being a spotlight conference or excuse me division. Man, that's a brutal division. Ertz is gonna land somewhere. Do I think he lands in a place like New England? Cam Newton, Ertz, also too, Mac Jones, maybe. New England's got the money to move. New England can do it because they have the money. All right, let me get into what I was going to say with with Dak getting ready to go, and he's been cleared to go into OTAs. What I like about this move is that Dak is pushing the gas pedal down on this, not really the Cowboys. The Cowboys wanted to keep him – at least until they got closer to training camp, where they were going to allow him, obviously, to go into training camp as we got ready for the 2021 season. But he gets his money, he gets the confidence of the organization. Dak wants to get out there right now and start throwing with his teammates. And he wants to be involved in this football team because he believes. And there's a lot of people out there that believe if you look at the schedule of the Cowboys, There's a lot of people that truly believe that this Dallas Cowboy team might be able to do some damage because if you look early on in the schedule, there's not a lot of teams out there that were going to frighten you in any way whatsoever. So Dak getting on the field as much as he possibly can right now to throw with his teammates is essential. You know, one thing COVID-19 did last year, and that's what makes what Brady and the Buccaneers did, So remarkable. Those guys were able to do what they did, not being together, and doing pretty much everything by Zoom conference calls, talking through plays, talking through schemes, talking through situations. Now that these guys are getting together here, Dak Prescott, in my opinion, I think he's going to have a whale of a season. But to the other side, we mentioned it yesterday a little bit with Tom Brady and what uh, Bruce Arian said, Arian said that he struggled a year ago because he really wasn't getting you know, a lot of the playbook. He didn't understand it early on, and Tom kind of struggled a little bit when it came to understanding what Bruce's offense was all about. Remember what Bruce loves. He loves to air it out down the field. That's not what Brady is. Outside of having Randy Moss on his football team those couple of years, That's not who Brady was. He's an intermediate passing guy. He's throwing under the seams. He's throwing at the slot. You know, he's all that. He's not a guy that's going to throw the ball deep. He's not a plus 25 guy. So he kind of struggled with that a little bit at the beginning of the 2020 season. And Arian said it yesterday that he struggled with that. He's also going to benefit. And this is where all these quarterbacks that are these truly great ones, they want to do this. And when you hear Dak making that comment that he wants to get with all of his guys, there is no question about it. That's why you're looking at the Cowboys. And I could see a lot of people saying that, you know what? The Cowboys may have a shot at making a run at it. All right. I want to talk about Matt LaFleur and the Packers. We'll take a brief timeout. Keep it right here on the National Football Show.
4: Welcome to the Wildwoods.
5: field of life first trust bank is there for you
6: Seven, four, three. One, two, three. because
5: philadelphia dreams deserve a philadelphia bank
7: the international brotherhood of electrical workers local union 98 is a proud sponsor of the labor show with J. Doc and krause every saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
8: The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history.
6: Jody Mass. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
3: Welcome back. Kensleyo National Football Show. Appreciate everybody coming aboard the Jacob Media channel, the Catch the Show. We're just growing. I mean, this bad puppy is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And We appreciate everybody jumping aboard with us and all the work that Krause and Cal do. And we so love the fact Big Joe, too, giving us the platform to do this. We so love that you're part of this here with us as we grow this. Um, You know, the, the, the NFL – has 32 different relationships with their respected quarterbacks, don't they? They have 32 different relationships. Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford are now in the honeymoon, you know. They're getting to know one another. Lose a couple games. That honeymoon will start to get a little sour, you know. You start going, oh, so he doesn't take the trash out. (laughs) You know, I mean, oh, I see he leaves his underwear on the floor. Okay. You know, you, it's a great honeymoon there. The relationship with Bruce Arians. Hey, by the way, the relationship with Bruce Arians and Tom Brady is all hunky dory now, right? Those guys won a Super Bowl. You know, everything's good when you're winning and everything is all great. You're throwing Super Bowl trophies and, you know, the river there in Tampa. You know, you're going to Gasparilla. You're talking all kinds of stuff. You're going to parties, man. And hey, Bucks won a Super Bowl. Things are great. Hey, you still going through a couple little bit losing streaks. Guys get nicked up, banged up. There's a guy misses a couple games. You start doing this. Well, okay. Oh, yeah, you know. Everybody, you start to get a true sense, okay? Up in Seattle, look at that relationship. Well, I kind of like my girlfriend. Here, th- that, That's how I'll do this. When I look at the Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson relationship, watch this. Hey, this is my girlfriend. Yeah, man, we've been together a little bit here. You know, we really love one another. It's great. <laughs> when you're in Green Bay, here's, here's, watch this. This is my chick. Yeah. Been together a long time, 16 years. No, yeah, yeah, no. Do you love her? Yeah. <laughs> and you ask her, do you love him? Yeah. And you're you're not you're like this. Wow, that's really weird. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Okay. You're like, oh, well, that's kind of weird. Right? You're, you're you're you know, you go around looking like Sean Payton and Drew Brees, you always went like this. That's a damn good relationship. Those two dudes, man, they look like they really get along, man. It really that looks like a good relationship. It was a healthy relationship. Sean was always honest with him, man. And that that was always something I felt was real. Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy, I look at it like this. This is my new girlfriend here. Do you like her? Oh, my God, we're really great friends. No, no, no. Do you love her? No, we're great friends, man. I really, really like her. No, I'm asking if you love her. I just told you, didn't I? Not really. <laughs> so think about those. Watch Cam Newton and Bill Belichick. Hey, man, Cam's my girl. You know. Pretty much all you're gonna get out of Bill anyway, and, and then Cam's like, oh my god, I love Bill, you know. I don't know if you know Bill loves Cam as much as Cam loves Bill, <laughs> right? I don't I don't know if that's that relationship is like you know, I, I, I don't there's very few places, is my point that you can get an opportunity to have that really honest relationship. Okay, I mean watch this, Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield. I kind of like Baker, right? I kind of like Baker. John Harbaugh with Lamar. I I feel that's real. I like Lamar. Lamar and I are good. I think John wants Lamar to have as much success as he possibly can. I think Mike Vrabel actually likes Ryan Tannehill. I think that's a perfect fit there. Ryan Tannehill and Mike Vrabel are blue-collar dudes. I think those two dudes kind of get along handsomely. And where I'm going with this is is that all the things that have been said in this offseason between Packer management and Aaron Rodgers, guess what they're doing the last three days now? So the last three days, we've seen Matt LaFleur, who's been, been flying under the radar, the head coach. He hasn't said anything until these last two days. And he was asked yesterday... What Do you make of this whole thing going with I just can't imagine disfranchised in any way whatsoever, not having Aaron? R- I I I personally can't imagine me showing up to work and not seeing that dude in the building. I'm like, whoa, well, this is this is interesting here. This is not like what my Mike Murphy or Mark Murphy, the president of the team. Okay, that's not what he's been saying, man. Okay? That's not at all what he's been saying here, man. He's been they they've been going out of being adversarial in this entire relationship here. And so, all of a sudden now the head coach has been brought in. It's actually very smart in how the Packers have handled this. The Packers front office have fumbled the ball here with this from a year ago going and getting Jordan Love, to the way that they coached that NFC championship game and made excuses up. And and you know what they didn't do? They didn't support Aaron Rodgers after that NFC championship loss. They didn't throw their arms around him and say, hey, we made a lot of coaching gaffes here. Nobody took accountability for that loss. It wasn't Rodgers. It was more on the coaching staff that lost that game. And they left him out there. I felt that. And there was Rodgers at the press conference there handling the backlash from losing another conference championship game and having to deal with all the things that were said about how the organization, once again, didn't get a chance to get to a Super Bowl. So now the head coach has to kind of mend the fences. Can it be mended? I I, I don't personally, where we are right now on the 18th of May, I'm, I'm personally saying this to you. I don't think Rodgers has the stomach to pick up and leave and go somewhere else. I personally don't think he has the stomach to do it. That's why I believe that they're trying to mend as many fences as they possibly can before they get to training camp. This has to be resolved. Do I think they move him in 2022? I do. I think this is Aaron Rodgers' final season in Green Bay. And they've called the head coach in to try to fix this. I don't think he goes anywhere. But I think the head coach now has been asked to fix this mess in Green Bay. And I think that's where we are in this process. I want to appreciate everybody who works on the show. Cal, Krause, thank you guys again for making it happen. Don't forget, we'll be back with you 4 to 6 right here on the National Football Channel. And we'll see you on the flip side.